Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, January 30th, 2023. It's been 3,260 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 341 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we concur with recent assessments by other analysts that it is highly likely the Russian Federation will launch a new offensive before February 24th to try and deliver a tactical victory before the anniversary of the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine. Second, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Third, the RAND Corporation agreed with our assessment that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, while we maintain the exception for the Solodar-Bakhmut axis. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and is relying on World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Fifth, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned to private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin is continuing, and Russian President Vladimir Putin is the largest benefactor. Sixth, we maintain that punitive missile and drone strikes targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue. Seventh, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Ninth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Tenth, 
We assess there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in February 2023 as an extension of current legal decrees, and has likely already started after a statement made by Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. And finally, we assess that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's a Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. There was very little fighting reported in Luhansk by any reliable source, with artillery exchanges and squad-sized units fighting positional battles. Winter weather has moved into most of Ukraine, but temperatures are moderate, hovering around freezing with light periods of snow. Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Bilohorivka with no change in the situation. There was a rocket attack by HIMARS in Olchevsk, with two rockets striking the city, according to the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC. The JCCC also shared pictures after the January 27th HIMARS strike on Novoidar, claiming a hospital with civilians was hit. One report claimed 38 were wounded, while others claimed 14 were killed and 24 were wounded. We can't validate the claims and have provided extensive documentation that many civilian hospitals in occupied Luhansk have been co-opted for military-only use. As with all accusations of war crimes, in the absence of evidence, we support the full investigation of claims and civil or military justice intervention if a crime was committed, regardless of the belligerent. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. On the Kremina axis, a Russian advance led by the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, in the direction of Yampolivka, failed. On the Siversk axis, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Verklokhamyanskia from the oil refinery and remained unsuccessful. On the Solidar axis, Russian forces are taking more of a leading role due to heavy losses among PMC Wagner units. Russian troops continued attempts to advance from Krasnopolivka in the directions of Sakuivanceti and Rozdolivka and were unable to break through Ukrainian defensive lines. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reported that an attack in the area of Sil was repulsed. We haven't seen any evidence of Russian forces crossing the Bakhmutovka River. Ukrainian forces are likely holding defense on the West Bank and the highlands that overlook the satellite village of Solidar. PMC Wagner shared a picture of their mercenary forces in Blachodatne, while the GSAFU reported repelling an attack in the area. The defensive line could be west of the Bakhmutovka River or north of Krasnohora. Fighting continued in Krasnohora, with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive positions, which will be more challenging with the capture of Blachodatne to the north. 
On the Bakhmut axis, fighting continued on the city's northern, northeastern, eastern, and southeastern edges, with no change in the situation. Russian forces supported by PMC Wagner continued to attempt to advance on Paraskovievka and continued to be unsuccessful. Northeast of Bakhmut, a video that is at least two days old based on weather conditions, showed PMC Wagner forces at the radio tower complex adjacent to the forest plantation being shelled by drone-directed artillery. Since late November, Ukrainian and Russian forces have traded control of this location several times. South of Bakhmut, we made more changes to the map based on new intelligence. Video emerged of Ukrainian positions in the highlands just west of Klishivka being shelled by Russian artillery. Based on the geolocation information, we pulled the line of conflict east much closer to Klishivka. We took our best educated guess on where we believe PMC Wagner forces are in the direction of Ivanivske based on terrain analysis. January 23rd satellite imagery from Sentinel-2L2A showed the areas west of Klishivka have been heavily shelled and armored vehicle tracks leading from the forested area east of the canal to Ukrainian defensive positions near the settlement. Clouds obscured the terrain on January 28th, and it's unlikely that we'll get a new image in the next 10 days or so based on the long-range weather forecasts. Multiple sources reported fighting near Klishivka and Ivanivske, PMC Wagner has still not released videos or pictures showing their mercenaries in Klishivka, and neither combatant has released much information about territorial control. On the southern ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, that supports Bakhmut, Kostyantanivka was hit by multiple Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack over the weekend. The attack landed in residential areas damaging apartments and homes, which reportedly killed three and wounded 14. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. There continued to be only positional fighting on the Avdiivka and Marinka axes, with the intensity of fighting on the Ulkhadar axis declining. The GSAFU and mercenaries with Wargonzo reported continued fighting in Vodyana, with Wargonzo reporting continued attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky. On the Marinka axis, fighting in the center of Marinka continued, with Wargonzo moving into saving face mode, reporting that Ukrainian forces were countering. Wargonzo also reported fighting near Pobida after falsely claiming the settlement was captured two weeks ago. On the Ukhladar axis, the 1st Army Corps renewed attempts to advance on Novomikhailivka, which, almost nine years after the first attempt, remained unsuccessful. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Khodakovsky of the 11th Motor Infantry Brigade of the Russian 1st Army Corps has not released an update about the status of Ukhadar in two days, with multiple sources reporting that fighting continued, but with far less intensity than 48 hours ago. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Prechistivka, 
and renewed attempts to advance on Shevchenko. Based on weeks of claims by the Russian MOD, we moved the line of conflict slightly south of Shevchenko and, based on terrain analysis, adjusted the line northeast to Pavlivka. Although we continue to consider the village contested, we had previously assessed that Russia was holding the cluster of cottages, which now seems unlikely based on their reports. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that Russian forces have set up a forward operating base, or FOB, for MI-8 and MI-17 helicopters at the Azovstal Metallurgical Plant, with ten sorties flown out of the FOB. A new batch of dragon's teeth moved through the city, and up to 3,000 fresh Mobics have been rotated to Volnavacha, south of Uhladar. There were very few news and social media reports from occupied Donetsk for most of the day yesterday. The outage started around noon and extended to Russian state media sources, indicating power or internet and cellular coverage has been impacted in the region. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. Russian and Ukrainian forces traded claims of intentional strikes on civilians, with mutual shelling along the Dnipro continuing. Residential areas were heavily shelled, including strikes at the Kherson Oblast Clinical Hospital, which injured at least two people. Another four were wounded and two killed in the shelling, which knocked out power to 9,500 homes. A graphic image showed the aftermath in the hospital, and local journalists captured the shelling in a graphic video, both of which some may find disturbing. As with most photos and videos we reference on the podcast, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. Local officials were already making emergency repairs to the hospital at the time of recording. Recent shelling of the river port damaged two foreign-flagged ships, with one having its fuel tanks punctured. The attack didn't cause a fire, but oil did leak into the Dnipro River. In the evening, Bereslav was attacked by rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, armed with thermite warheads, and Stanislav, at the mouth of the Dnipro River, was also shelled. In Zaporizhia, on the Juliapola axis, the Russian MOD reported that Russian forces had launched an attack on Dorozhnyanka. Near Russian-occupied Militopol, a railroad bridge that insurgents and previous HIMARS strikes have damaged was hit again, according to Russian state media. Five engineers working on repairs were reportedly killed in the strike. The report from Russian state media unsurprisingly violated operational security, or OPSEC, and provided both a battle damage assessment and visual confirmation of the ongoing work on the bridge. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is unchanged. 
Russian and Ukrainian forces exchanged heavy artillery from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola, Orihiv, and west to Stepova. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported the Black Sea fleet had 15 ships on patrol, including three missile carriers capable of launching up to 20 caliber cruise missiles. With a renewed rotation, ships are likely being brought into port to reload after the January 26th missile strikes, but we're not seeing conditions being set for a new attack. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. In the Sumy Oblast, the Hromadas of Yunakivka, Krasnopilia, and the village of Velika Pisarivka were attacked by drones, dropping improvised explosive devices. The Hromadas of Miropilia and Bilopilia were hit by drones and rocket-propelled grenades. Bilopilia was struck 72 times, with no injuries reported. On the Kupiansk axis in Kharkiv, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were engaged near Liman Pershi and Orlyanske. The Russian MOD also claimed Ukrainian DRG units were operating in the area of Krochmalne on the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border. The GSAFU reported shelling in Vilshana again, as well as in Krochmalne. We believe there is more activity in this region than reported, but both combatants are maintaining tight operational security. In Kharkiv, an S-300 missile used for a ground attack struck a four-story apartment building, destroying the top floor. The building was located in the Kiev district, and one person was killed and three wounded in the strike. A pensioner died instantly in the strike, while her husband, who was just meters away, was only slightly injured. On the Russian front, there were reports of explosions in Bilgorod, with local officials telling residents it was air defense. Also, a person rammed the We Love Bilgorod sign at the city entrance with their car, heavily damaging it. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The Ukrainian Air Force reported that they've started preparing airfields and infrastructure to support F-16 fighter aircraft. The calls to provide Ukraine with modern fourth-generation fighters are growing inside and outside the nation, including former United States Secretary of Defense Mark Esper. Admiral Rob Bauer, chair of the NATO Military Committee, said the NATO alliance was prepared for a Russian attack, saying, quote, This is an important signal for Russia that we are prepared if they decide to go after NATO. If there is a red line, then it is the Russians crossing our borders. End quote. He added that NATO nations should ramp up civilian and military industrial production and move to a, quote, war economy in peacetime to counter Russia's efforts to rearm. Bauer warned that Russia's ambition does not stop at the Ukrainian border and is driven by Putin's desire to restore the pre-Soviet borders of Russia. 
The United States has opened a hotline to report the misuse of American military or humanitarian aid. The Ukraine Oversight Interagency Working Group is composed of three offices of inspectors general, the U.S. Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of State, and USAID. The web portals are in English and Ukrainian and are being promoted in the U.S., Europe, and Ukraine. The 2023 $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill included $42 million for oversight of United States aid. Ukraine ordered 105 vector drones from Germany. The vector reconnaissance drones have been upgraded based on lessons learned from earlier deployments. The UAVs have a range of 15 or 25 kilometers depending on the configuration and can send encrypted real-time 4K video up to 15 kilometers away. The upgrades include software changes to increase resistance to electronic countermeasures, or ECM, and the ability to operate without GPS, GLONASS, and GNSS, enabling the drone to operate without satellite navigation. In Kyiv, the rules limiting travel of civil servants and government officials outside of Ukraine to government business only were modified. Exceptions have been made for single parents to accompany a child under 18 years of age, the need to travel abroad for medical treatment outside of Ukraine with approval from the Ministry of Health, and to attend the funeral of close family members such as spouse, children, parents, and grandparents. There were reports that an ammunition factory in Isfahan, Iran, and an oil refinery in Azashar were targeted by drones, causing explosions and fires at both facilities. Iranian state media claimed that the drone attack on Isfahan was foiled by anti-drone nets and air defenses and just didn't acknowledge the explosions and fire at the oil refinery. In geopolitical news, former General Peter Pavel was elected president of the Czech Republic in a national election with 70% participation. The charismatic Pavel backs the continued support of Ukraine. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, declared the EU's unconditional support of Ukraine, saying, quote, We support Ukraine without any ifs, ands, or buts. Ukraine is fighting for our common values, fighting for respect for international law and the principles of democracy, and therefore Ukraine must win this war. End quote. In economic news, the ruble is starting the week unchanged with an exchange rate of 70 for one U.S. dollar. In economic news, the ruble is starting the week unchanged with an exchange rate of 70 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices opened down, with WTI crude dropped to $79 a barrel and Brent falling to $86. Russian Ural's crude had also declined in Monday morning trading, falling to an official price of $58 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market started the week at $2.57 a gallon, or $0.68 cents a liter, a decline from Friday. Dutch TTF natural gas futures pricing was unavailable at the time of recording. Chicago SRW wheat futures jumped over the weekend, climbing to $7.54 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. 
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.